Hey, what's up? It's episode 73, pain points of wealth, and the sky is literally falling. As we're recording this, Russia is invading Ukraine. We've got financial conditions tightening as global banks around the world are raising interest rates. Is this the end? Are we going to a big, big bear market? Are we going to a recession? Or is this the buying opportunity of a lifetime? We're going to give you our two cents on that. We're going to tell you exactly what to do with your money. And on the tipping point today, we're going to talk about the almighty income. You need income for your financial independence plan, how to create income, how do you do it, how do you create an income plan where you don't run out of money. We're going to get into it, give you our playbook. Let's hop to it. Hit the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Hey guys, you know what's the best thing in the world is that we live in the great US of A. I mean, look at the poor people in Ukraine. Ra, you spent a whole summer there. People are fantastic. And now they're being subjected to this aggression. Now, we have to look at what's going to happen to the markets as a result of this. And history tells us that regional conflicts, unless they end up turning us into a world war, we're not in a bear market. This is a correction, not a bear market. We didn't go to a bear market after Afghanistan, after Iraq, after Korea, after Vietnam, only after World War II, when World War II started. So what do we do with this market, guys? Is a regional conflict, is this a correction, or is it a bear market? I don't know, Dad. I heard this morning that Vladimir Putin was humming to his favorite Beatles song back in the USSR. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like this guy wants to recreate the USSR. What a maniac. Yeah, it's crazy. And obviously I spent some time in Ukraine. Uh, Donetsk is one of these regions that they're going into and there may or may have not been a billboard of me back in the day when my band played there. And my heart's out to the Ukrainian people. I have a lot of Ukrainian friends, but it's a good point. It is a regional conflict, right? I mean, if you look at the GDP of all of Russia, it's like the size of Texas and Ukraine, never mind even smaller than that. And to your point, Bob, you know, at the end of the day, if you look at these geopolitical issues that we've had in the past, and the past is prologue, we like to say, is usually things work themselves out. And eventually what happens is investors start looking at what's going on in the economy. And something we've talked about every week here is the economy still looks pretty good. You know, you can't ignore that. Now, the economy looks really good in the economy of Ukraine. I mean, believe it or not, guys, the GDP of Ukraine is two tenths of 1% of the global GDP. And like you said, Rai, Russia's been in a lot of trouble. Maybe this is the reason why Putin's making this move, because he's in trouble at home. But our economy is booming. And if, you know, Fed's been working hard to cool it off. I think the real reason we're having a correction here is because of interest rates. Well, you know, that all that is probably very true. But I'll tell you what, I've spent all morning today taking calls from our client base, very concerned about what's going on. And you know what? The narrative is always the same. You know, the market's going down, getting great prices here. You buy this thing at a discount. Well, it goes back to the age-old question, right? What market? Because if you look at it right now, specifically, it's really growth stocks or that disruptive technology, that whole segment of the market that's just getting crushed here. Everything else is holding up relatively well. You know, it's amazing, guys. We look at literally, what, 50 new portfolios a month, people who aren't working with us, who are potentially new clients. And the market trains you to do the wrong thing, right? The last 10 years, large growth, maybe tech has outperformed. What does everybody have too much of? Large tech, right? We've been warning for months that long duration assets were going to get hammered here, and they are. But it's not too late to rebalance, is it, guys? 
No. I mean, if anything, what you have to think about is the tide is down right now and you jump from one boat that maybe has holes in it, your disruptive technology, and you can go to a more secure boat, right? One that has assets that we talk about that pay dividends, that trade at reasonable valuations. And, you know, right now, if you look at the overall market, you know, there's plenty of parts of the market right now that trade relatively cheap. They're not overvalued. And that's the beauty of being an investor, you know, is you have the opportunity to invest in lots of different markets. And the problem that we've seen, and this is just indicative of the fact that we look at literally 50 portfolios a month, is most of you just own so much growth. And, you know, it's time to reposition. If you didn't think so before, well, now you know. I don't know, guys. What do you, I think I'd, would I rather own a growth stock at 24 times sales that pays no dividend? Or I don't want to have a portfolio of stocks that have been paying dividends and increasing those dividends for 60 consecutive years. And every dividend paying stock that we follow has increased their dividend already this year. So it's amazing where you have the gift that keeps on giving in a portfolio backed by real assets, real companies, as opposed to a great story that's going to be a big winner someday in the future. It's a great point about those dividend paying stocks that I was talking to a client of mine yesterday who's in total panic mode. And he was afraid. He said, you know, look, if the market goes down, I'm going to lose all my dividends. I said, well, that's not the reality. You know, most companies not only pay out a dividend every year, but they increase their dividends. Like, what's your favorite company? Procter and Gamble, right? Well, here's the thing. This is what blows my mind. When you have this volatility, everybody loves volatility when it's on the upside, right? When we had a market that went straight up last year, upside volatility, who complains? Nobody. Why would you? Only downside volatility gets our attention. And what it does is it causes you to become negative, causes you to become bearish. I mean, if you look at the sentiment indicators right now, more people are bearish, more investors are bearish than bullish. It's one of the lowest readings of bulls I've seen in five years. Maybe in history, right? I mean, if you look at some of these surveys right now, the amount of pessimism is so, so big. And a lot of that has to do with, right, just watching the media and you know, getting this narrative here that the world's going to end, Bob, as you like to say, my favorite Bobism, the world doesn't end very often. And I think that's more true than ever right now because what's really changed, right? And if you look at the consumer right now, they still have trillions of dollars sitting in cash they didn't have before the pandemic. Everyone's wages are going up right now. You got 10 million job openings and people want to spend money because the pandemic's becoming endemic. You know, that hasn't changed at all. The only thing that's changed are the headlines, you know, and that's really important to consider here right now when you're trying to allocate capital to build your financial independence plan. Well, you know, the amazing thing is when it comes to investing, it really is counterintuitive and it's very hard for people to invest. It really is. It's difficult. But for me, it's just common sense, right? The markets are cyclical. We're just going through the same cycle. We saw this movie before back in 1999. Tech stocks got to a ridiculous valuation. But what did investors do? They put all their money there and then they lost it all and didn't get even for 15 years. You're seeing the same thing right now. The portfolio of the last 10 years is not the one to be in right now. Our portfolio is where it's at, guys. But Chris is so, so concerned because he doesn't understand it. He sees more Teslas on the road than ever. How can that stock be selling off? It's the future, Bob. I don't get it. Chris, what's going on? I don't know, right? I mean, if tech's getting a big hit right now, isn't the time to buy? And that's the thing. When you buy a stock that's selling at 100 times earnings, that means you're buying a company based on 100 years of earnings. So in 100 years, you'll probably break even. I mean, it's so simple. Don't buy stocks that's selling at high P.E. ratios. Well, you know what, Dad? We're living longer. <laughs> you got to live a long time to make money on that stock, pal. And that's the problem. And I think this is something that, that you see it over and over again is people forget, investors forget, is the market is already pricing in the future. Like I look at Twitter accounts. I like to go to Twitter because it's just like, you want to talk about the worst of humanity in one place. And you see all these investors on there talking about, hey, I saw five more Teslas on the road today. 
equating to that, that means that they're getting inside information on how the stock's going to do. It has no relevance because the market's already pricing in, like to your point, Bob, years of growth. It's already pricing in thousands of Teslas on the road. Now what's happening today, and I think that's the biggest mistake we make as investors, is equating today and what's happening in the market. The market's thinking out way into the future. It always does. Well, you guys might think, you know, because of how old I am, that I was around for the tulip bulb mania. Maybe I was. Maybe I was. You know, I'll have to let you guys know. But I've been through every mania, right? The tech bubble, the dot-com bubble, the real estate bubble. And what happens is the narrative changes, right? Back in 2006, well, you know, real estate never goes down. It goes sideways and then it goes up, right? Complete false, you know, false assumptions. Same thing just happened with disruptive, innovative technologies. You know, why do I want to own oil? Oil is going to go the way of whale oil. You remember that one, guys? No one wanted to buy oil when we were buying value stocks. Now, yeah, it doesn't look so smart buying those disruptive technologies, does it? Well, it also speaks to the fact that when you own everything, you're hedged against whatever could happen, right? Because look, my crystal ball broke, like, unfortunately, 20 years ago when I got into the business. And you know, for some reason in January, Chris was not able to tell me that he really had this feeling, this gut feeling that Putin was feeling very bold right now because energy prices were so high, his economy was doing well, that it was time to take or annex more of Ukraine. He just couldn't see that at the beginning of the year, and it annoys me. Well, you know what, Ryan? As the Russian intelligence liaison, you know, I had to keep my mouth shut. I couldn't say anything. So I'm sorry about that, brother. No, that makes sense. Now I get it. I didn't realize that. Well, guys, you know, my mentor from many, many moons ago, when I started in the industry, taught me that you know, he who panics first, panics best. So if you haven't panicked yet, it's a good thing because it's too late, right? But you can take some steps to put yourself in a position to win going forward. First of all, stocks are cheaper now than they've been for the last two months. Secondly, you want to rebalance your portfolio to make sure that you have that asset allocation that got you to the dance is going to take you to your goals and your dreams and your values. And you still, even with a market down 10% on the S&P and 20% on the NASDAQ, you still have gigantic embedded capital gains. Anywhere you have a loss, do a tax swap, right? Let's get the government to pay for some of your pain. Let's make sure they're in a position to make the most money in the most tax-efficient way. Let's build that goal-based portfolio. Let's achieve our goals and dreams. Let's do it now. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 73, Pain Points of Wealth. If you love our content, you can't wait for it every single week. Please give us some love. Give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Leave us a comment, any content or any topics you want us to talk about. If you're watching us on YouTube, please give us a like. Click that little notification bell. You can be updated every week of our new content. Our show is crushing it. We have over 65,000 downloads. Thanks for the support. If you keep giving us the support, we can continue to do this podcast. Episode 73, hope you're enjoying it. Give us a like. Give us a five-star rating. We appreciate you. All right, it's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And Bob and Chris, we got a very special guest on the show today, our colleague, financial planner at Pain Capital Management, Miss Frankie Lagrateria. Frank, awesome to have you on the show today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, guys. I feel the excitement building. You know, Frankie, you know, you've been working with us for a long time now. You do a lot of planning for your clients. And you know, the one thing we found at our firm, Pain Capital Management, with the thousand or so relationships we have, the over a billion dollars we manage here, is one of the most critical components to your financial independence plan is income. And you hear a lot of talk about income. How do you generate income? What's good income? What's bad income? How do you equate for inflation? But you know, it's really the cornerstone of any sort of financial independence plan is you've got to have income that you're generating that you can live on. So I thought we could do a deep dive today in really understanding 
what kind of income you can produce on your portfolio to give yourself that freedom that we're all always thinking about when we're investing our money. Well, a couple of examples of some income, right, would be like a pension or social security, income from a rental property, income from an annuity. There's all kinds of ways of generating income from your bonds, income from dividends, so many different ways to generate income in your portfolio. Well, you also have income from your human capital, Chris, called a paycheck. I haven't received those in a while, right? Dad, should I talk with Ryan about that? Well, you know, you know how Ryan is, Chris. He works us like dogs and he pays us like puppies. You know how that works. Frankie told me she loves working at Pain Capital so much. She's like, you know what? Guys, pay me when you feel like it. You don't even have to do it. I love being here so much. Do I remember that conversation correctly, Frank? No. (laughs) (laughs) I do recall being an intern and not cashing my checks on time, but that was on me. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. You did start as an intern at Pain Capital Management. And before that, you were, I think ShopRite was your first, I guess, intro into the financial world, which I guess not really a financial world. I guess Pain Capital was your first intro into the financial world. Well, I was a business major, so you didn't just pull me off the cashiering line. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like it, Frank. <laughs> but Frank, that was a joke. That was a joke. But Frank, with you know all the, the clients that you handle, you know, what do you find is the biggest challenge with creating income, or what do people need to be thinking about when they're building their income plan? Yeah, actually, I just had a really great conversation with a client the other day who was really upset. She's like, I can't see myself ever retiring, Frankie. I don't think I'm going to be able to. I'm only going to get like 1200 a month from Social Security and between rent, you know, expenses, medical expenses, all that, so on and so forth. How am I ever going to have a, a life without a paycheck? And I was like, girl, you know, you get income from your portfolio, right? She's like, what? You know, because so much time she's been working with me, it's just been reinvesting the dividends, reinvesting the dividends. So all those calls have just been, how do we put money into that growth? But eventually... You know, all that, you know, discipline turns off and turns into income. You know, it changes. It doesn't turn off, but it changes. So when I told her what her income was going to look like, it changed. And that is the key, right, Frankie? The whole strategy we've created here at Pink Capital is, you know, getting you from point A to point B. And it starts first with, you know, those passive income streams that you're entitled to, like Social Security or a pension. You know, that's dependable. It's going to be paid. I mean, I know my generation is going to get their Social Security. I'm not sure about your generation, but I know that at least for our clients that are my age, we can see that dependable income. But then, you have to build a income stream with the investments that are available. And I think the thing that really ticks me off is when people come in saying, oh yeah, well, my advisor said this is guaranteed. What guarantees are there when it comes to income? And it's true because I mean, and there's a lot of income streams you can generate, right? A lot, I have clients that talk to me about, oh, you know, I want to get myself into an investment property where I can generate income on that and live off of that. And I think that's great, but I call that sweat equity because if you're starting to run rental properties or commercial properties, tenants are a pain in the neck. So you have to decide how hard you want to work because I always joke, but your bond portfolio isn't going to call you in the middle of the night because you know the toilet's broken. So I think you have to factor in how hard you want to work for that income because I think real estate can be a great investment and any real estate where you're active in, it's great, but you have to remember there's a trade-off there when it's sweat equity versus a passive income stream. And when I think of financial independence, I don't want to think about this stuff at all if I don't have to. Well, you know, it's a great example where passive income is huge. And I was actually talking to a client of mine this past week, and I showed them how much income their portfolio is generating interest and dividends. And it was more money than they may combine in their last year of working. So I said, look, here's your portfolio that you absolutely don't have to do anything for. It's generating more income than you've ever made in your life. That really blew their mind. Well, that's the thing, Chris, you know, like there's no guarantee. But even, you know, your example, right? With rental income, there's no guarantee there either. I mean, how many clients have we spoken to where they had a tenant that defaulted on their rent during the COVID crisis, and they couldn't even move them out of the apartment or the house. And the government just said, hey, too bad for you, you know, you greedy landowner. So 
you know, you have to be careful that you diversify that income, whether it's real estate, stocks, or bonds, or annuities even. Well, Dad, you had that experience with three of your tenants that were living in your house, and it took you over 20 years to get them out, didn't it? This is true. And uh, I've never given them the forwarding address. Oh, I did give your daughter, I mean, I mean, my daughter, your sister, the forwarding address because she gave me a grandson. What are you guys doing? Tough trade-off. Even if you don't have a tenant that can pay it, Bob, can't you always sell real estate at a gain, right? Because real estate never loses money. Right now, the real estate market is hot, but just two years ago, you couldn't give it away. But I think the whole thing is, it's really, you know, when you look for incomes, like, okay, is it going to be consistent? Is it going to be generated? Is it guaranteed? Is it backed by something real? But the thing that really everybody has to be concerned about is that hidden insidious tax we call inflation. And that's the real risk to everybody's income plan or financial plan. And that's where you have to have certain types of income in the portfolio. Yeah, because it's death right now if you're sitting in cash, because even though the markets are volatile, you're still generating income if you have a diversified portfolio. And Frank, I know you look at like, I don't know how many portfolios you review a month, but like how many times do you see people are sitting with like a half a million, a million dollars sitting in cash? And as we know right now, it earns nothing, yet inflation is literally over 7%. So like you're losing on your money rapidly at the current moment. I was actually just talking to a client the other day. They're a little nervous with the market. They're a little nervous with everything going on. They're like, you know, my portfolio is down about, you know, maybe 3%. Frankie, should we sell everything? And I was like, well, would you rather be down 3% or 7%? Because that's what you're losing to against inflation when you're sitting in cash. I would rather be down 3% while I'm collecting dividends. Yeah, because the market goes down doesn't mean that your portfolio stops paying cash flow. And that's critical. It's like if you own a rental property that was paying you cash flow and all of a sudden it was a slow market and you know your building was worth less, but you're still getting your cash flow, you wouldn't sell that building. But how many times investors just want to panic out of their portfolio when it's down? But meanwhile, to your point, Frank, like they're still generating income. That's the key is their productive assets. Unlike Bitcoin, unless uh, Chris tells me different. It's a great hedge against inflation, Ryan. Look into it. Another big thing is pensions. You know, I was working with one of my accounts that came in. They have either, you know, 500,000 you could get a pension or you can get about like a $30,000 income stream. And when we ran the numbers for them, just based on that insidious tax, just based on things costing more over time, they were actually losing money by taking that income for life. Yeah, that's a really good point, Frank, you know, because yes, they do get a guaranteed income stream, but again, you know, they're losing against inflation. You know, that asset isn't appreciating year or year and there's not a cost of living adjustment, and that's why you know, you need to have a side of your portfolio that grows above and beyond inflation to be able to keep pace with purchasing power. So I think that's what it all comes down to, guys. It's like you have to look at all the different ways to generate income, whether it's an annuity, okay, no hedge against inflation. If it's a stock, the stock can increase their dividend. They can also cut their dividend, right? If you have a bond, a bond can default. So you got to make sure you have a high quality bond because if they bond defaults, right, they're no longer obligated to pay back the interest, you know, on your portfolio. So the key is diversification. Make sure you have investments across asset classes, within asset classes. And when it comes to inflation, the only true hedge against inflation are equities. And as we know, equities have inherent volatility, but those dividends can keep on paying. You know, you want to have a portfolio where maybe you fall in love with your portfolio, but just keep in mind that portfolio is never going to love you back. Be diversified. Bob, Chris, and I, and Frankie have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially, literally, at any stage of your journey. But if you saved over $750,000 for retirement or your financial independence, and you want a more hands-on approach 
We'll put together for you our total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost if you qualify. It's literally a holistic review where we look at everything for you. There's no other firm on Wall Street that's willing to do this work up front. We're going to look at every investment you own. We're going to build you your own personalized financial portal to get a bird's eye view of your entire net worth, hone in on every single financial issue that you have, whether it's an income plan, whether it's expenses, whether it's savings whether it's all the fees you're paying in your portfolio. We're going to do a deep dive of every investment, tell you what all the hidden costs are, show you how to optimize your portfolio for taxes, put together a full savings and investment income plan so you can be completely financially independent. If you have over $750,000 for retirement, if you go to our link right now, www.paincm.com slash financial plan, you can see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right, it's the hidden facts of finance random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, it's finally here. Booking a 90-minute space jaunt is as simple as going to virginatlantic.com and starting the application process. You'll need a $150,000 deposit for a $450,000 trip. Bob, have you put your deposit down yet? Well, Raleigh, I haven't. And I think not many other people have either because that stock was at 57 around the 4th of July is now eight bucks. So my guess is nobody's going to the moon. I've already been there many times in my mind, but it didn't cost anything. But go figure. Frankie, the theaters are back. The new Jackass has made $51 million worldwide, and it only costs $10 million to make. Another Paramount film called Scream, which is a reboot of the popular slasher series from back in the day, has already brought in $130 million and only costs $15 million to make. Wow. Well, $26 was funded by yours truly because I did go see the Jackass movie in theater. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Was the theater packed? Were you the only one in there, like eating popcorn there in the front by yourself or what? We had to pick seats and we thought we would have like a little wiggle room and we had to scooch over. It was a packed theater. We had to sit right in our seat. I'm curious. So like, I mean, is Johnny Knoxville, I mean, those guys must be in bad shape now. Are they still just, I mean, what do you think about the new Jackass versus the old Jackass? And like, these guys are old now. I only went because I am dating a man from the Westchester, Pennsylvania area. So he is the true fan, and I was just coming along for a birthday surprise. You know, I would have to say, out of that $10 million, I would love to know what percentage was just medical costs. <laughs> Probably a lot of it. Probably a lot of it. Like, God bless them. They went all in. They went all in. Steve-O, Johnny Knoxville, they did the stunts. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. There's still hope. We can still make Chris into a crash test dummy, which is, would be an awesome side hustle. I do own a helmet. Chris wears his helmet now in financial planning meetings. He's uh, full contact financial planning. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris, Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon, one of my favorite albums of all time, has now spent 962 weeks on the Billboard 200 album chart. It spent exactly one week after no one's spot back in 1973. Well, it sounds like while most of us can't afford to go to the actual moon, it sounds like most of us are actually going out and buying The Dark Side of the Moon. And I agree. One of the greatest albums ever, right? Bob, what were you doing when Dark Side of the Moon came out back in 1973? I was in the library studying for the NCATs. I don't believe that for a second. But Bob definitely had hippie beads on, had long hair. I was probably hanging on a beanbag couch somewhere listening to the album. That's my prediction. Hey, if you wanted to meet anybody, you had to go with the flow, buddy. <laughs> nice. All right, this one's for everybody. The original name for the search engine Google was actually Backrub. Go figure. It was renamed Google after Google, which is the number one followed by 100 zeros. Hmm. Well, now the Google, the company's called Alphabet. So who knows where they're going to go next? I mean, I guess they're not happy with the names every couple of years. 
I like to do a search on back rub. I think that just has so many different connotations can go so many different ways. It's weird when you use it as a verb. Like, you know, I always say like, I Googled this, like, I, hey, I back rubbed this fact today. <laughs> I was back rubbing all day. <laughs> well, listen, another great show, Frank. It was awesome having you on the show today. And if you like our podcast, love our podcast, please give us a like button, give us that five-star rating, give us some topics you'd like to hear us discuss, anything financial related. If it's on YouTube, give us a like, click that notification bell. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.